0: Good morning. It is good that we are able to be together. Uh, Appreciate all of you being here and that at least we have the health to assemble today on this wonderful Lord's Day to praise our God, to honor our King, and to build each other up in the one true faith of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So do be mindful of all of those of our number who are recovering from surgeries, but also dealing with the seasonal illnesses right now. As I've already mentioned, we have several out because of this. And so uh, just look around and just reach out to one another and try to offer whatever help that you can render. We do have visitors and we're so happy that you're here with us. And we invite you to come back every opportunity that you have. And we're encouraged by you being here. And it's our aim to simply do the Lord's will and proclaim the Lord's message. The Bible. Well, the Bible is the word of God. And it is the inspired revelation of the mind and the will of Jehovah. By that word, we grow in knowledge of God the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. By it, we learn about our origin, about our identity, and as well as our purpose. By it, we also learn about our greatest need and eternity. By it, we grow in true knowledge of the way of salvation, of the way of worship, and the way of righteousness. Because the word of God is words of light. The word of God is powerful words. It is the words of eternal life. And there are a number of passages that clearly emphasize this point when it comes to the inspired scriptures of God. For example, in Psalm 119, where we are reminded that it is God's word that is a lamp and a light to us or those familiar words found in Romans 1, when talking about the gospel of Jesus Christ and how the gospel is God's power, and it is that power that can save those who truly believe. God has spoken. God has spoken through the ages in different ways and through different messengers. But God has always intended... That his words be heard. He has always intended that his words be received. He has always intended that his words be obeyed. Now, man's approach to the word of God ought to be one with humility, with soberness, as well as with reverence. A greater understanding of the nature of God's revelation of truth and grace not only increases our appreciation of it, rightfully so, but also it is a greater understanding of this revelation that helps us to increase in our respectful adherence to it. What do I mean by nature here? The nature of the word of God. Well, the nature defined in this context is the essential character of a thing. Or its essence. Or in other words saying, the qualities that make something what it is. So I want to talk a little bit about the nature of God's Word, the nature of God's revealing of His mind, His will, the grace and truth that are contained in the Holy Scriptures. Because God's Word is not man's word. There's a difference, a sharp contrast between those different different kinds of communication. And I want to begin by saying that the Word of God is irrevocable. The Word of God is irrevocable. So what do we mean by that word, irrevocable? What we mean by this word is simply, it cannot be undone. Or it cannot be canceled. It cannot be repealed. The Word of God is irrevocable. Now men's rules, men's regulations, men's laws, they can. They can be repealed. They can be changed because men are not omniscient. You and I are not omniscient. And so therefore the statutes of men, the judges' judgments of men, they are Fallible. Not always, but man's words, men's words are fallible. But God's word stands the test of time. We'll turn your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 40. We're going to read those verses there as you see on the PowerPoint. And when we think about, as you're turning there, the prophet Isaiah is one of the great prophets of God that were sent to his people in the Old Testament. And Isaiah preached repentance and judgment as well as light and hope. It's an amazing book filled with God's words. But we're going to focus simply on a few things that God revealed, that God spoke through Isaiah here as recorded in chapter 40. So reading In the 40th chapter of Isaiah, beginning in verse 1, it says, Comfort, O comfort my people, says your God. Speak kindly to Jerusalem and call out to her that her warfare has ended, that her iniquity has been removed, that she has received of the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice is calling, Clear the way for the Lord in the wilderness. Make smooth in the desert a highway for our God. Let every valley be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. And let the rough ground become a plain and the rugged terrain a broad valley. Then the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all flesh will see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, call out. Then he answered, what shall I call out? All flesh is grass, and all its loveliness is like the flower of the, of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades. When the breath of the Lord blows upon it, surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades. But the word of our God stands forever. Very simply and quickly here, what we see as the chapter begins is God Made a promise to the people of Israel that at some point in their future God is gonna speak and bring comfort to them after they have suffered doubly for their sins. Now that 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 event hasn't happened yet, but God says, Comfort, comfort my people. He says, They, you know, they they have paid doubly for their sins by my hand. And then He shifts from the subject of comfort and begins to talk about another promise, and that is, he says, somebody, someone is going to come. And when that someone comes, he will clear a path for God to come. That's verse 3. A voice is calling, clear the way for the Lord in the wilderness. Make smooth in the desert a highway for our God. Now we can turn to Matthew chapter 3, and we can know specifically who that someone was. For in Matthew chapter 3, it is recorded in the New Testament in the first three chapters concerning the work and the labor of John the Baptist, John the baptizer. And so you'll turn over there and let's read those few verses very quickly where he says here, now in the days of John the Baptist, you know, in the days of John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness to Jesus, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Notice what he says, verse three, for this is the one referred to by Isaiah the prophet when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Make ready the way of the Lord, make his path straight. So what we have here is an example. Of the irre- irrevocable nature of God's word, God' speaking. And when you think about, it, this was a sure thing, because God said it. It was a sure thing, not because Matthew reveals the fulfillment. It was a sure thing when God spoke it first through Isaiah. Matthew doesn't make it a, a, a sure thing. It was a sure thing from the beginning because the nature of God's word, it is irrevocable. Matthew simply gives us the fulfillment of what God said. Similarly, in Isaiah Isaiah 55, you have the same kind of concept of the idea that God's word cannot be undone. God's word will not be repealed. Isaiah 55, verse 10 and 11, it reads, For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there without watering the earth and making it bare and sprout and furnishing seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so will, this is the main point here, so will my word be, just like the rain the snow does exactly what God created it to do. He says, so will my word be, which goes forth from my mouth, it will not return to me empty. Without accomplishing what I desire, and without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. Isaiah 40 is just one of the many examples of the surety, the irrevocability of the word of God. God spoke it, and it was a sure thing. And he says, there's days coming, there's going to be somebody who's going to clear a path for God to come to the earth. Matthew tells us, John, the Baptist, was that man. It happened because God said it. It happened because God planned it. The gospel of Jesus Christ, which has been revealed and preached through chosen men according to the Spirit, is likewise the enduring word of God. Turn over to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter, we're going to read just a few verses here. Beginning in verse 10 of 1 Peter chapter 1, it says, As to this salvation, so Peter has begun to address the subject of salvation here. And so he says, As to this salvation, the prophets who prophesied the grace that would come to you made careful searches and inquiries, seeking to know what person or time the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating as he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, But you in these things, which now have been announced to you, through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. God prophesied about these things. It was a sure thing. They wanted to know more about it. And now, he says, it's revealed in the gospel. Drop down to verse 22 of that chapter. Since you, speaking to Christians, to those who have responded to the call of the gospel of Christ, he says, since you have, in obedience to the truth, purified your souls for sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart, for you have been born again, not of seed, which is perishable, but imperishable, that is, through the living and enduring word of God. And then notice says in verse 24, for all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls off, but the word of the Lord endures forever. There once again, there's the irrevocability of God's speaking. You cannot undo it. You cannot cancel it. You cannot repeal. When God's spoken, it is irrevocable. And then Peter, by the Holy Spirit, says at the end of verse 25, and this is the word which is preached to you. So not only is the message of the Old Testament irrevocable and all that God said, he has accomplished, but also what God has spoken in the gospel of Christ in the New Testament, likewise, is as much as irrevocable as the word that Isaiah spoke. And so we see God's word is imperishable. Unlike the things around us, everything around us fades, withers, breaks, dies. Everything around us goes through that process. But there's one thing that does not, and that's God's word. It is imperishable. And he says, and this gospel of Jesus Christ is likewise imperishable. And this gospel is what has been preached. And he says, and that gospel is what you need to be born again of. By obeying the truth, the truth contained in that word. So let's very quickly look at some examples of some very specific things that are part of this irrevocable nature of God's word. Staying in 1 Peter here, very quickly, we're going to just scan some verses very quickly of examples of the irrevocable teaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Chapter 2, verse 1 and 2 where he says, therefore putting aside all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander like newborn babies long for the pure milk of the word so that by it, it may grow in respect to salvation. He said, okay, you Christians, you disciples of Christ, you need to put away some stuff. Sin must be put away. We talked some about that in Romans 6 this morning. But this is part of the irrevocable nature of God's word. Sin must be put away. In chapter 2, verse 1, you have just a few items listed. But the point is, sin must be put away. Staying in chapter 2, drop down to verse 16, where he talks, talking to Christians still, Concerning their character and the conduct in, in in society, in the community, in verse sixteen, he says, "Act as free men and do not use your freedom as a covering for evil, but use it as bondslaves of God. Sin must be put away. You know that you, know, you that can't be, that God's not going to change that. You can't repeal that. Sin must be put away." And then secondly, he says, okay, Christians, you are free in Christ. You have freedom in Christ. The truth has set you free, but your freedom in Christ is not liberty to sin. Your freedom doesn't mean you can just cover your sin up now. No, you need to put it away, and you can't use your freedom as as a justification to continue in sin. Chapter 3 Verse seven, specifically talking to husbands, he says, you husbands in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way as with someone weaker since she is a woman and show her honor, show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life so that your prayers will not be hindered. Mistreatment of your wife hinders your prayer life. That's part of the irrevocable nature of the teaching of Christ. The mistreatment of your spouse hinders your prayers. Another example, chapter 3 verse 20 and 21, where he says, yeah Corresponding to that, speaking of the salvation of Noah, who once were disobedient when the patience of God kept waiting in the days of Noah during the construction of the ark, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through the water. Corresponding to that, baptism now saves you. Not the removal of dirt from the flesh, but an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Baptism saves Baptism saves. It's necessary. It's essential. Why is that? Because David Bunting said it? No. Because God said it. Because the Son of God has said it. Because God's Holy Spirit guided messengers have said it, because this word is the Word of God. These are just examples of the many aspects of the nature of the irrevocable aspect of God's word. One more example, and that is found in, still in, in 1 Peter. Look at in chapter 4, where basically he says judgment is coming. For it is time for judgment to begin with the household of God. And if it begins with us first, if God's house, God's people are the first ones in line... If we're at the front of the line on the judgment day, he says, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? Implying to be part of God's house, you got to obey the gospel. you got to obey the gospel to be part of God's family. And he goes on in verse 18, if it is with difficulty that the righteous is saved, what will become of the godless man and the sinner? These are just examples, important examples that we need to know and that we need to apply. But these are examples of the aspect of God's word is irrevocable. It cannot be done. It cannot be repealed. God's not going to change these things. This is part of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The word of God is also indisputable. Indisputable. So what do we mean by that? Well, you look up in your dictionary, you find a very simple definition such as cannot be disputed or doubted, unquestionable. Now, I can say something wrong. I can get things mixed up. You know, I can be misinformed. I can be Ignorant of the facts, I can do that. It is for that reason that man's or men's words are to be examined. They are to be tested. My words need to be tested. My words need to be examined in light of what in light of what God has said. First John chapter four verse one. The Apostle John by the Spirit wrote these words, beloved, do not believe every spirit, spirit speaking, referring to a person, a man, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out in the world. See, test men's words, test man's thoughts, examine a man's teaching and that's exactly you see you know being done in Acts 17 with paul's preaching paul was being examined by those bereans there in Acts 17 in verse 11 it says yeah they were receiving the word with great eagerness they were listening they were taking it in but it wasn't like they were swallowing hook line and sinker were they no, they were receiving and they were, and they were taking it in while at the same time examining the scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. The scriptures are inspired of God. And so they want to make sure that what Paul was preaching was in harmony with the scriptures they had in hand. Now, if Paul, the apostle, you know, needs to be tested, how much more should we be testing man today? We're not apostles. None of us are. You know, there are no more apostles of Christ. We have all the apostles that we needed, and they're all found in the New Testament. And so we're heeding the apostles of Christ when we listen to Christ's word. But God, on the other hand, God is perfect in knowledge. I am not. God is omniscient. You are not. And so, therefore, when God speaks, when God communicates, it is absolute truth, it is correct. It is right. Now, I may have questions because of my lack of knowledge. I may have questions because of my lack of understanding. But what God has said is truth. And what what God has spoken is right and true. And so, therefore, God's word is indisputable. God's word. Now you can argue and dispute what I say. But God is you are not to be disputing with God. You may have questions about you know, concerning what God has spoken, but don't question the as if God is in error. God's inspired word ought not ever to be doubted as if it's not true. God's words should never be questioned as if God has said something wrong, an error about his will and his plan for mankind. So let's go back and look in the book of Job. Job chapter 38. Now, Job and his friends were not accurate in their judgments about what had happened to Job, nor about God's involvement. Now these are men of faith, deep men of faith, but they didn't know everything. And they, dif- they definitely didn't say everything correctly. And so what we find is they spoke amiss. They spoke not Perfectly, accurately about God and about what happened and all the whys and the hows of that. And so we have then in chapter 38 of Job is now God steps in and God's going to dispute with those men. And God's going to question those men and he begins with Job. He began with Job. And he says in verse, chapter 38, verse 1, Then the Lord answered Job out of the world, went and said, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Now, Job was not ignorant of God. He was a deep believer and devout follower of God, described as one who's blameless and upright. But when God speaks to Job, he first says to Job, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Now, Job spoke more correctly than the other three. (laughs) But Job was not omniscient. Job was not God. And so he says in verse 3, Now gird up your loins like a man, and I will ask you, and you instruct me. Where were you, Job? When I laid the foundation of the earth, tell me if you have understanding. And there's just one question after another being cast down from heaven at Job. And you turn a couple pages over to the 40th chapter in the book of Job. And it said, Then the Lord said to Job, this time, Will the fault finder contend with the Almighty? Let him reprove let him who reproves God answer it. Then Job answered the Lord and said, Behold, I am insignificant. What can I reply to you? I lay my hand on my mouth. Once I have spoken, I will not answer even twice, and I will, I, I, I will add nothing more. Then the Lord answered Job out of the storm and said, Now gird your loins like a man. I will ask you and you instruct me. Now Listen. Will you really annul my judgment? Will you condemn me that you may be justified? God's word is indisputable. Why? Because it it, it is his communication, and that communication grows out of or stems from the very nature of God himself. You know, God's power is immeasurable. God's knowledge is immeasurable. And so you think about what God specifically says to Job and and, and, and the way he questions Job here. You know, we need to ask ourselves from time to time, what right does the creature have ever to dispute with the creator's design and laws? Who are we to say that God did something wrong? When he created. And who are we to question. The creator's intervention. Or not. Who are we to say. What God or God doesn't do. When and where. Or is it right for any man. Is it right for any man. To reprove the Recre- creator. Do we, ever, do we have the right. To reprove. Our father in heaven. To disregard. Or dismiss the judgments of God to justify ourselves. Fortunately, Job, you look in 42, being the upright man that he really was, fortunately, Job had a heart which humbly learned what he needed to learn. As good of a man that Job was, that God commends by saying who's upright and blameless, there are still some things Job needed to learn, like all of us need to learn. And so here in 42, verse 1 through 3, then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Asking this, Basically repeating God's question. Who is this who hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore I have declared. He's admitting it. See, he's, he's, conf- he's making a confession here. Therefore I have declared that which I did not understand. Things too wonderful for me which I did not know. And so you think about the whole message here of the idea of God's word is indisputable because it's a reflection of the very nature of God. Now, we may not understand everything God has said. And we definitely don't know what God has not spoken, what God has not revealed. We don't know that aspect of God's mind and will. We only know what God has said. And so once again, let's very quickly look at some examples of this idea of the indisputable nature of God's word. Because everything that God has spoken, everything that has been spoken in the past concerning man's well-being, or even for man's well-being today, everything is for our Good. Take, for example, in Matthew chapter 5, Matthew chapter 5, Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, there as Jesus is speaking to this multitude of Jews, notice what he says in the 20th verse of the fifth chapter when he says, I say to you, the Son of God is speaking here, I say to you that unless your righteousness surpasses Is that of the scribes and the Pharisees? You will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Righteousness must surpass the acceptable norm of the day. Man, man is not the measure of righteousness. The Pharisees and scribes in Jesus' day were not the measure of righteousness. And he says, Your righteousness, kingdom righteousness, must surpass the norm of the day, and that is still true today. Our righteousness is not determined by what people say. The word of God is indisputable. His righteousness is the standard. Such as in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, when we are being told to flee fornication, to flee sexual immorality, and he says, and he goes on to say, every other sin that a man commits is outside the body, but the immoral man sins against his own body. When we or anyone commits the sin of sexual immorality, whatever kind it is, Whatever kind of sexual immorality it is, when that is being practiced, when that is being committed, it is a sin against God, yes. But also, he says, it is a sin against yourself. That's indisputable because God said that. God created us, God knows our makeup, and God knows when a sin that we commit is a sin against ourselves. Now today we live in a world where people do not recognize the irrevocable nature of God's word, nor do they accept the indisputable aspect of God's word. But their rejection does not change the truth, the absolute truth about God's word on any subject. Your tongue Your tongue can cause you to go to hell. That's serious business, brethren. In James chapter 3, which goes in in length to talk about the the challenge of our words, the struggle we have with them, he talks about the nature of that tongue, but particularly in verse 6, he says, and the tongue is a fire, the very world of iniquity The tongue is set among our members as that which defiles the entire body and sets on on fire the course of our life and is set on fire by hell. Our words, our tongues can cause us to go to hell. That's God. That's Christ who's saying this. The word of God is indisputable. Now we may not like it and we may want to kind of Cross that verse out of the Bible and say it's not there. But that doesn't change the truth. Satan is your adversary. And he's an adversary who wants to destroy you. And he will do whatever it takes to destroy each and every one of us. He's an adversary. He's not a friend. He may present himself in a way... You know, he appears like one in sheep's clothing, but he is he is a lion just waiting to devour its victims. And yet, forgiveness of sin is accessible. Forgiveness of sin is accessible. This is also part of the irrevocable an indisputable nature of God's word and of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In Ephesians chapter 1, which speaks in length about the great blessings that God uh, planned and has revealed and made available to us through his son, Jesus Christ, tells us in verse 7, in him, that is in Christ Christ, We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of a trespass according to the riches of his grace which he lavished on us. Forgiveness is accessible through Jesus Christ. But you must be in Christ. You must be a a believer and a follower and a hearer of Jesus Christ. Last point. The word of God is judgment's finality. What do you mean by finality? What's something that's complete, it's settled, it's conclusive. In human courts, a lawyer, a lawyer may argue, in human courts, a lawyer may argue the validity of a law. Or they may argue the interpretation of the law. Or even they may you know, question the relevance of the law. Why is that? Because the laws of men are not infallible. The laws of men are not infallible. Nor are the laws of men always just. They are not always just. And neither are the laws of men always morally right. So yes, in human courts, you know, the argument can be made of whether the the law is valid or is interpreted correctly or even relevant, that that can be argued. But we're not talking about the laws of men here. We're talking about the word of God, the divine law that is absolutely holy, righteous, and good. The laws of the Old Testament were holy, righteous, and good. The law of Christ, the laws of the new covenant, are holy, righteous, and good. And it's for that reason the word of God is judgment's finality. Remember what what God asked Job? He says, will you really annul my judgment? That's what he questioned Job. Will you really annul my judgment, Job? Will you condemn me that you may be justified, Job? Do people do that today? Yes, all the time. And they can argue all day long for the rest of their life, but when they stand before Christ on the judgment day, the word of God is judgment's finality. And Jesus said it the best in John 12, verse 48, when he says, He rejects me and does not receive my sayings. In other words, saying it, the one who doesn't receive the word of God, the gospel of Christ, has one who judges him. What? What's going to judge him? He says, the word I spoke is what will judge him on the last day. The gospel of God's Son is the standard by which we are called to live. It is the standard by which all men will be judged. It is the standard by which we must live and we must measure ourselves. Now, what is your decision about the word of God? Do you believe that God's word is irrevocable? Do you believe that God's word is indisputable? And do you believe that God's word is judgment's finality? Do you believe that? If you do, then consider Mark 16 16. He that believes and is baptized will be saved. He that does not believe will be condemned. What do you believe? Do you believe what Jesus says? Do you believe the truth? If you don't, then condemnation awaits you. If you're outside of Jesus Christ because you've never, never rendered obedience to the gospel of Christ, you've never called upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ in faith, in penance, in confession, being washed clean by the watery grave of baptism. If you've not done that, we want to encourage you to do it today because God's word is irrevocable. The gospel of Christ is irrevocable, indisputable, and judgment's finality. I want to urge you to not delay, but obey Jesus. If you are a Christian and there is sin in your life that you not corrected, that is standing between you and your God, we are ready to assist you in that, for you to repent of that, you have to confess that, and to pray to God for forgiveness. If we can assist you in any way spiritually, I invite you, encourage you, please come now when we we'll stand and sing the song that's been selected.